Good morning. Hey, are we cool or what? <laughs> okay. Please stand. We want to honor God's word. We're going to read through. We're going to start in 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Start there, and then we're going to go through chapter 2, verse 3. And I want to focus in on these three verses in the beginning of chapter 2, but I want to get a running start because you get context that way. So here we are. First, uh, 2 Peter 1, 12. For this reason, this is Peter. I will not be negligent to remind you. And he's always doing that, Peter, reminding, reminding. Reminding you always of these things that you, that though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent. So Peter knows, he's, he, he understands he's going to be dying shortly, but he wants to, to emphasize the important things that they need to remember. Just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And we have that today, still here. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty, Mount of Transfiguration. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. <coughs> which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. We don't get to decide ourselves. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke or were moved along as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2. But... There are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth has been blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Lord, we, we come before you this morning with open ears, open hearts, open mind. We want you, Lord, to speak to us, that we might hear, but not just hear, do the things, learn the things, exercise ourselves in the truth that you've given to us in your word. We love your word, Lord. We know that it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that we may be thoroughly equipped for what, we, what you've called us to. So we, I just want to begin, Lord, we want to begin saying thank you that we have your word in abundance. Help us now, having ears to hear, please bless the things I prepared, break them fresh. We want to hear from you this morning, and so we offer to you, Lord, this morning, our time, our treasures, our talents. Here we are, Lord, all of us. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So what we're reading here, which you'll read throughout the scriptures, is that where there is the prophetic word, there will be, there will be false prophets. Where there is the way of truth, there will be false teachers. The devil is in continual op opposition to God's word and God's ways. We are in a spiritual battle. The truth is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So when God's prophets show up, Satan's prophets show up, false prophets. When God's teachers show up, 
so do false teachers. So we can expect that. We have to know that. Adam and Eve showed up in creation. Who else showed up? Satan shows up. Moses shows up. Janice and Jambres show up. Jesus shows up. Satan shows up. So we are talking this morning, and Peter is going to hit on this quite a bit. In chapter 2 of, of 2 Peter, it's very close to Jude. So I'm going to encourage you, read the book of Jude, one chapter. Read 2 Peter as you come, because we're going to look in the next few weeks at this whole area of false teaching. And we need to be equipped to know what it is, to recognize it. Today, 10 truths about false teachers, but I want to say 10 truths about false teachers. And what do you do about them? This is just the beginning, sort of skim the surface of the foundational things that Peter begins with in these first three verses. So as, I, as we look at these verses, I'm just going to go through this morning ten things quickly, somewhat quickly. I'm going to begin, though, with a rather lengthened time in understanding that false prophets and false teachers are alive and well on planet Earth. They're all about us. We see them all around. We have to recognize those things. And then what do we do about them? And Peter has a lot to say about that, as does the Bible. It's full of warnings about false prophecy and false teachers. So he says, so the first thing, I'll begin here. They are false. Very simple. They are false. They're pretenders. They're counterfeits. These false. So he says, they're there were also false prophets among you, even as there will be false teachers among you. So these, are teacher, these false teachers and prophets have been around a long time. I mean, a long time. Whenever someone shows up or says that they are speaking for God, we better understand how do I know they're speaking for God? That what they're saying is from the Lord. It's important that we don't just accept it on emotional moves. But we understand what the truth is. Now, in Acts chapter 17, Paul, in speaking to this group, the Thessalonians, he said, or they were more in the Bereans, he says, verse 11, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word in all readiness, and we need to do that, and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Don't listen to what Kevin tells you or any other. You need to go, and I need to go to the Scriptures and say, does that fit? Is it true? And I want, personally, I want to be corrected if there's something that I've said. And, you know, a lot of times in the communicating of truth, Charles Spurgeon said in every sermon there's heresy because you can't possibly cover all those things. But when questions arise about anything that I've said to, in teaching, I hope that you'll come and ask me the question. I want to know that, even though sometimes it's difficult, particularly when, you, when I need to be corrected. And that's happened. And it will happen to all of us. And so God continually warned Israel about the temptation to idolatry. What is idolatry? It's making God how I want him to be. It's fashioning him in my image. That's false teaching. But it can be very attractive. So he warned the Israelites about idolatry, that temptation to fashion God as they want him to be, not as he's revealed himself to be in his word. So we read in Deuteronomy chapter 13, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder, notice, comes to pass, of which he spoke to you saying, look, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. 
Look what God says. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. What's he saying? I love this commentary. The Bible knowledge commentary puts, Moses warned the people that the standard for truth must never be a miraculous sign or wonder or other areas of human experience. Now, we're getting a lot of this today. Human experience is trumping God's word. The standard of truth is the word of God. Would you say that with me? The standard of truth is the word of God. Say it again. The standard of truth is the word of God. Now, you know, if you've been here any length of time, I'm always, I love to talk about this because it, what, I'm, what, what I've come to believe with all my heart is you don't need to hear from me. You need to hear the word of God. And we need to be immersed in the word of God. And so I learned that early on with my pastor. Teach the Bible. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. And what? Doctrine. So what does the Bible say? And anyone can read the Bible and begin to understand it. It's not something that we can't understand when we read it. In fact, my wife Charlotte always says, it's not the things I don't understand that bother me. It's the things that I do understand of where my heart's at and the things that the word of God brings to that. So, where do I stop? A prophet's or a dreamer's prediction may come true. But if his message contradicted God's commands, the people were to trust God and his word rather than their experience of a miracle. If human experience seemed to contradict God's clear teaching, the Israelites would have bowed in submission to God's commands for his word is truth, unquote. And I say, Amen. Now, in 1 Thessalonians, we have this little progression of these little exhortations. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, how do you know every form of evil? God's word. The truth that we have there. He directs, directly tells us these things. So, false prophets and teachers have been around a long time. There will be false teachers among you. During Jer I want to spend a little time here in Jeremiah. Because during Jeremiah's time, there were prophets who were prophesying lies to the people. Now, what were they saying? They were saying, oh, don't worry about what Jeremiah said. Now, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He was that heartbroken prophet with a heartbreaking message. What he was saying was not pleasing. It was difficult to hear. But then you have these false prophets going, oh, don't worry, don't listen to what Jeremiah is saying. It's going to be fine. We're not going to be brought into captivity. We're not, none of these, it's going to be fine. So Jeremiah, for 40 plus years, was preaching the message that wasn't fun. But it was true. It was God seeking to bring his people back from any form of idolatry, back from all of these kinds of, and so his prophet was saying things that weren't pleasant. And I just thought of another passage where, where the people in Nehemiah, they're hearing the word of God, and they started weeping because of the message. And in that passage, in that context, you ever hear the scripture, the joy of the Lord is your strength? That's where it is. Why? They said to him, don't weep because you've heard the word. You've received God's word. You're, act, you're weeping because of the message, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. We've heard the truth, and God wants to speak the truth into our lives. And even when it's difficult, we can rejoice because we have heard from God. It's fabulous. Jeremiah's time. So it says there in Jeremiah 5.31, 
He was known as a doomsayer. Doom and gloom. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. Wow. But what will you do in the end? You see, you may believe all these things, but if they're not true, the end of those things is death and doom and destruction. God would deliver us from these things through the truth. Jeremiah 14, then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. And this broke Jeremiah's heart. That's the heart of God's prophet. Broken over the message. And so he says there in verse, chapter 23, verse 9, My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine is overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. Jeremiah, it broke his heart as it should ours. And I think we're experiencing that in our nation over the last couple years. We're seeing our nation so turned from truth, believing lie upon lie upon lie to our destruction. And we look at those things as believers, many of us, and it breaks our hearts as well as raising the level of anger. (laughs) And, And you know, when you see things clearly, it's hard to understand why others don't. And yet, the truth is the truth, so help us, God. Help us, God. So he said, my heart's broken. Jeremiah 23, 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continue to say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. These are flat out lies. They're not true. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has has marked his word and heard it? I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had counseled my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. I will say this to you, and we all know this well. It's hard to deliver a difficult message. That's just the way it is. But when the truth is being lied, when, the, when lies are being sucked in and believed, when people are wandering around according to these lies aimlessly without direction and unknowingly blind to these things, what's going to open their hearts? What's going to open their minds? It's the word of God. It's a light. It's preached. Preach the word. And we pray when, as the word goes out. That's why I love, I love the word of God. You, we, because you can read, I can read it and believe it. Yes, I need to study, yeah, but the things that are in there, a lot of those things are understood. And this, is this not clear or what? What Jeremiah is saying to them. And yet it's difficult. Jeremiah 23, 20, How long will this be in the heart of the prophet who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of deceit of their own heart. 
who try to make my people forget my name and their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forget my name for Baal. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat? Dreams to the, to the word. What is the chaff to the wheat? Says the Lord, is not my word like a fire? Says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. You know, you got hard hearts. Take the word to it. And so, I'm preaching to you this morning. Because that's what I'm told to do. Preach the word. Preach the word. And we all need to be bold and courageous to say what God's word says. Now, Acts, Paul's heart was also broken. He says, to the Ephesian elders who had gathered... Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you, here it is, the whole counsel of God. Jeremiah, God saying, they stood in my counsel. I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed, first of all, to yourselves, and then to the word, to to, to yourselves, and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, feed my sheep, Jesus told Peter, which he purchased with his own blood. How valuable are his people? There it is. How valuable are you? There it is. How valuable is what God has given to us in his word? There it is. He prophesied it. He did it for us. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. False shepherds flee when the, when the wolves come, the true shepherd stays, feeds, helps. So number one, that's the longest. Secondly, they are secretive. I find in this evasive and misleading. So it says there, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. In other words, they bring alongside secretly. They secretly introduce, you know, I look at the word, they smuggle in these lies. They come in and lay their false teaching alongside truth. They give the impression they believe the fundamentals of the Christian faith. They would have you believe that they are true Christians. They are not. That's what Peter's telling us. They secretly smuggle in. Lay it alongside. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They come in undercover. They come in secretly. They're evasive in directly asked questions. They mislead. Do you know that Satan is the great counterfeiter? He's the great imitator. Do you know that Satan has a false gospel? Do you know that Satan has false Christians? Do you know that Satan is going to to raise up a false Christ, the Antichrist? Now, anti, that, that word means either opposed to or in the place of. Either one. This is the, the man of lawlessness. Satan has those. Satan has doctrines. They're called demonic doctrines in the scriptures. So third, they are destructive. 
in our language, toxic, dangerous. We'll see you bring in destructive heritage. Now, five times in six verses, destructive, destructive, destructive. Alongside that, we have the word condemned and punishment. Notice, it's bad. It's toxic. It's dangerous. Jesus said, beware of the doctrines of the scribes and Pharisees. Beware of them. Because this is what it'll do. That's where it leads. The doctrines are like time bombs. They just need a little, and they're going to go off. Their doctrines are like cancer. You don't even know you have it until it's discovered. And the idea with cancer, you want to get it as soon as you can. That's the same deal with these destructive things. You got to get them as soon as you can. Jesus said they're like leaven. That leavens the whole lump. Fourth, they are heretics. They're in denial. They're adversaries. Heresies means to make a choice. It means to become, it can't mean to be a sect or to be a party. So they are divisive. And what they do is they force you to decide between the Christian faith and their doctrine. And it forces one way or the other to make a choice between false doctrines and two true doctrines of the Christian faith. So the question here is, do you know the doctrines of the Christian faith? The historic Christian faith. It's always under attack. They deny the deity of Jesus Christ, even denying the Lord who bought them. If they can remove, listen, if they can remove this one truth, Jesus is God. If they can remove that, they can destroy the entire body of Christian doctrine. It hinges. That's why 1 John hits these things. If anyone denies that Jesus came in the flesh, it's the Antichrist. Jesus is God. (laughs) I mean... Really? Really? He's God. Everything that we believe hinges on, is Jesus God come in the flesh? He absolutely is, and we, can, we need to keep that anchored and not let the devil undermine that, not let teachings undermine some of that. And there are many other things that they undermine, the sinfulness of man. They undermine it. The inspiration of the Bible, they undermine it. The sacrificial substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, they undermine that. Now, in the essentials, we must have unity. In non-essentials, we can have generosity or charity. There are things about which godly men and women have disagreed over the ages, but not in the essentials. They under, listen, this is a big one today. They undermine the reality of eternal judgment. They don't want to talk about hell. These are the things that have been around, but, and they're still around. Now, I've mentioned this before. Someone said if you mention something like 10 times, someone will hear it. <laughs> I've mentioned this before. I've talked to some of you about that 
because it's so, I think it's almost an essential two segments of the American gospel, these documentaries called the American gospel. I think they are so essential. One of them was 2018, one was in 2019. So one of them's almost three years old, one of them's two. But what they did, let me just read to you. It's called the American gospel. First one's called Christ Alone. Is Christianity, is Christianity Christ plus the American dream? That's the question. Is Christianity Christ plus the American dream? In this, they examine how the prosperity gospel, the word of faith movement, has distorted the gospel message and how this theology is being exported, exported abroad. Now, do you know, have you heard? When I, several years ago when I was still in California, that was a, this was a big deal. Well, they go behind the scenes of this thing and they expose it for what it is. The second one is called the American Gospel of Christ Crucified. Now, this one, when I, when I watched, my wife and I watched this, I shuddered to, to hear the blasphemy from these preachers and teachers who have a huge platform and are considered Christians. I mean, I, I watched them. I'm almost flabbergasted by it. I shouldn't be. Peter tells us this is what's going to happen. So in this, the gospel message of Christ crucified has always been offensive. In our culture, it is common for preachers to soften the offense of the cross and the attributes of God that are displayed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. American Gospel Christ Crucified explores how the paths of postmodernism and progressive Christianity lead to a different gospel and a God created in our own image, unquote. I want to exhort you, watch them. The second one's about three, year, three hours. The first one's about two. Number five. This is a big one. They're popular. Many will follow the destructive ways. So they are trendy, watch out. They are celebrities, watch out. Jesus said, woe to you and all men speak well of you. Now I'm not saying all these pastors have large platforms. I'm not saying that at all, so please hear that. I'm not saying that. Man tends to put people up on pedestals. That's what, just what we do. But we need to understand that some of these things that are absolute lies are very popular. They just are. Why? Because they appeal to our human, fleshly nature. That's what they do. There's no hell. Oh, I like that idea. There's no I like that idea. I can get wealthy. I like that idea. And it just appeals to greed and lust and all those kinds of things. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many, there's the word again, who go by it. Because narrow is the great gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Then he says this, beware of false prophets. Right there. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but in with the ravenous wolves. They're going to appeal to the flesh. Appeal to our carnal nature. Appeal to our covetousness. Number six, they're blasphemers. They do not fear God. Many will follow the destructive ways because of, way of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And again, that, I point you to that American gospel. Now, this whole thing 
talks about, the, the word here is lewdness, is one of the words in the Greek. This idea of appealing to sexual desires. Sexual debaucheries. Debased sexually immoral practices. Because they're powerful, powerful drives. They appeal to those. Second Peter chapter 2.18, we'll get to this. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, there's the word, the ones who have actually escaped from who live in, in error. Jude chapter verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into what? Lewdness. And deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They bring in all kinds of vice and immorality into the church. And you know what they do? Then they drag God's people through it. Who are deceived. Seven, they are covetous. They do not care about you. They only care to line their wallets. Or fatten their whatever. By covetousness, they will exploit you. They do not care about you. Eight, they are exploiters. They will use you for their own gain. And once they've used you, they'll leave you. They will exploit you with deceptive words. It means, that word exploited means commercialize. You're just merchandise. Which, with which they trade. They trade your soul for a few bucks. They'll trade their own soul for a lot of bucks. Several years ago, a false teacher came up with this idea of seed faith money. Anybody ever hear of that? Just send me 10 bucks, and God's going to multiply that by 5 or 10 or 20 or 30. So just send me your 10 bucks. And the one who came up with that idea was extremely profitable. At that time, many years ago, it was $100,000 from people sending their money. Now, did it work? For him, you betcha. And that's what they do. They merchandise God's people. That's why Jesus, when he went through the temple court and he saw them taking the money and gouging people there who wanted to come and worship God. He took that whip and he drove them out in the beginning of his ministry at the end. He said, out of here. Help us, oh God. God doesn't need our help in that sense. We need his. Number nine, they are deceivers. They will lie to you. That's one of the most difficult things, is it not, for many of us in the season we've gone through. What's true and what's a lie? In these false teachings, do they know what the word says? You bet, but they lie to you. They twist it to their own destruction. These false teachers use our vocabulary, but they use a different dictionary. That's why we must define terms. What does that mean to you? What are you talking about? What does that say? How do you define that? I wanted to stop here a moment in this area of being deceivers. False teachers, they know, they do know. They're twisting it. 
twisted, twisted. These ones who God is addressing here. The ones that are standing on platforms and know what they're doing. But in the book of Acts, chapter 18, you have this guy named Apollos that we read about. I, I, I think this is such a needed sort of insert. A certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty, notice, in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So there's Apollos preaching accurately. But he was limited in what he knew. So what happened? So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Brothers and sisters, Lord, we need to remain teachable. False teachers are not teachable. We need to be teachable. We need to be correctable. We need to say, yes, this is what I've been believing, but let's look in the Word. Let's talk about this. You know, I've, ta- I've mentioned our, my little Great Pray group many times, but we ha- every week we get together, and every week for an hour and a half, we're talking Scripture for the most part and praying together. And we have differences, and I'm telling you, like iron sharpens iron. There's this wonderful thing that happens, not only in having to sort of humble ourselves with one. And that's, well, now how'd you get to that? I think that is so very important that we're teachable. That we'll talk to people with whom we don't agree. We have different places. Now, essentials, we get that. I'm talking about the non-essentials. We're going through the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. There's four, five of us, four young guys. We're all going through that, studying the scriptures, teaching, all of them taking time to teaching. And then we have a dialogue together. We have a, plat, uh, uh, what do you call it? Panel. Panel, that's it. <laughs> Up here, three of us. And we're just, we're just taking questions and trying to, because I, here's, here's, the way this started coming up for me is, in the time in which we live, I don't know what's coming up, but I do believe we're heading into some times that are going to be really difficult as believers. Are we prepared for that? And I came to believe this this way more than ever, that what we need to understand is if we're all believers and we open up the word of God and the Holy Spirit is with us, we can fellowship around the word of God and we can learn from each other and we can be strengthened by each other because the word is the centrality of our fellowship. The Holy Spirit is instructing us. We're teachable and God can do wonderful things in iron sharpening iron and being in this relationship called Christianity, loving each other, speaking the truth, and trying to figure out what does God say in here. And we can arrive at things, but it gets a little dangerous when it becomes this little closed group. That's why Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together and so much more as you see the day approaching. Let's hold fast our confession. But after that, he says, for if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Hebrews. He's saying, stay together, have fellowship together. It's one of my points at the end. Be together. The word is central. Now, I think you can watch a Mariner game once in a while. You do something. But make sure that the word of God, we're learning how to fellowship around the word of God. So when these things come, we're prepared. And we can open the Bible. We don't need an expert. We need the export of the Holy Spirit into our lives. I'm off. I'm off track 
Final one, they are under judgment. Keep that in mind always. Not that we want them to be judged, but God is not blind. God is not deaf. He sees all of it. But he is long-suffering, not only that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what God is waiting. We wish it was over, but for us, how many years ago, if it was over, would you have been over? <laughs> He's patient, and that's a difficult. They're under judgment. They will be answering to God. So let me wrap it up here. We're going to take communion. Ten truths about false teachers and what to do about them. There's so much to say here. And we're going to address these things in our next few studies. Pray for me because there's so much. There are so many things. And I want to, I'm not bashful. I don't want to be bashful. I'm just being honest with you. I don't want to be bashful to name where it needs to be named. Where this is happening. I also want to be gracious to understand that God is the one who is going to deal with all these things. But I, want to, I, want, I hope to help you as well as myself to understand what's going on right now. We just got done doing fault lines with Vody Bauckham. And what I realized through this ABC thing, group thing that we're doing, I realized that we need to be educated about what's going on in the church. And being educated, we're being equipped to be able to deal with these things, this falseness, these lies. And in being equipped, then we're being encouraged with that. So, here we go. Where there's a prophetic word, there will be false prophets. Where there is the way of truth, there will be false teachers. The devil is in continual opposition to God's word and God's way. He's our adversary. It may go without saying, but Peter says, not without reminding you and warning you. So these things I know that many of you, if not all of us, know. They're not new. But here's the first one. Saturate your mind and your heart in God's word. Marinate it in God's word. Don't put the Bible down. Pick it up. Secondly, stay in fellowship with believers. I talked about that. Third, Hebrews just says this. Let us hold fast the confession without wavering. For he who promises faithful. Stay at it. Third, fix my eyes on Jesus, not on the false prophets, not on the false teachers. Yes, they're there, and we need to address them, but fix our eyes, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, look at who's already gone before us. How did they? It's through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God and God's faithfulness and God's strength. So since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 11, let us run with endurance. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame. Why did he do that? For you and me to understand truth. Understand God's heart. Understand God's desire for us. Run your race. So I'll close with these. There are, there, there are false. Do we have those? They are false pretenders. Listen, be the real deal with God. Be the real deal with God. They are secretive, evasive, misleading. Be honest and direct. You know, we, need, we all need to work on that sometimes because we want to be sensitive. In fact, the next one goes with it. They are destructive. We're to be humble and harmless. 
Paul told the Ephesians that. Next. Next slide. They are heretics. They are in denial. Remember the cross. Confess Jesus and confess sin. They're popular. They are trendy. They're celebrity. Listen, seek not your own glory. What are we to do? Here it is. They're blasphemers. They do not fear God. Very simple. Fear God and keep his commandments. Not people. Number seven. They're covetous. Listen, care about people. Just care about people. Not for what, they, what you can get, but because of what they might need and how you can help them. They are exploiters. They'll use you. Listen, serve people. Don't use people. Serve them. They're deceivers. They'll lie to you. Live the truth. Live the truth. And finally, they're under God's judgment. Here's what I say. We're not. But we need to seek God in his word and in prayer. So he can then do these things for us. So we're going to take communion now together. And this is just a reminder of the cross again for us. Like I was saying there. So as you get those two emblems, there's a, well, it's one cup. It has on the top the wafer and the juice. When we take communion, we're remembering Jesus' death until he comes. No, I look at it as we look back, we see what Jesus did. We look forward to to know that he's coming. And we're taking it now in this interval to remind us of the cross, to remind us of what Jesus did for us. And in the midst of all the stuff, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We can humble ourselves before the Lord right now in the confessing of sin, whatever it is, and say, Lord, I need you. I remember you. 